Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So until you know who you are, you cannot become what God wants you to be. Because you're still hanging on to the things that you want to do and massage and make excuses over it. So whether or not you and I get a second chance when we sin, sure depends upon God's grace and his mercy, but it also depends upon us surrendering to God and to allow that to come into our life and how very, very important that is. Well, let's go back to the passage now. So it says here, now in the law, Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone the women. What then do you say? And so they were testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger he wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, he who is without sin, that famous line, among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And when he was left alone, and the woman, where she was, in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I'd like you to hold your place here in John chapter 8, and I want you to go back to John chapter 1 for just a moment, because that question needs to be answered. What, what did Jesus say? Well, you'll see in a moment what he said to her. You already know what he said to the guys. But the real question is, is, What drives Jesus to say whatever he did say so that we understand the heart of God? A moment ago, I told you that it's the story of the scribes and Pharisees. Yeah, and it's the story of the adulterous woman. Yeah, and it's the story of Jesus. But it's much deeper than just Jesus and his story. It's Jesus and who he is and his character of being God. So I don't want you to see him merely as a guy in a robe seated there shooting out some truth to these people that had a real crisis in their life to kind of give them some information. This was a bigger picture of the reality of the very essence of who Jesus Christ is. Now you need to see it from John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. So we know that's referring to Christ. Here it is, full of grace and truth. If you don't have it marked in your Bible, please do. Full of grace and truth. I love that because that's who Christ is, grace and truth. Notice what comes first. Grace comes before truth. Folks, you're going to see this in the life of Christ that he always gives grace to the people and I believe that helps them to listen then to the truth. Grace comes before truth. Dip your arrows in honey before you shoot them. But now draw a line to verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Now that's critical to know because we just talked about the law and the killing everybody with rocks and all that kind of stuff. For the, not everybody, but the adulterous uh, woman with rock. For the law was given through Moses, but now again, who is Christ? Grace and truth were realized or grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So it says it twice in just one small passage that grace comes as an antidote to the consequences of the law. Now, do you see the phrase here where it says that they were testing him to find grounds to accuse him? Now, I have to open this up a little bit, and I'm going to take it up a notch, so just listen very carefully. There was a dilemma that Jesus Christ was facing when they brought this woman here. Now, here's the dilemma. If he didn't side with these 
Pharisees that said she needs to be stoned, then his Messiahship or his reality of being God and understanding that Old Testament would be in question because he's watering it down. Oh no, he's real, real compassionate here. He should be doing this kind of stuff. And so now they'd be questioning, who is this Jesus Christ? Doesn't he know the law? If he's supposed to be God, he's supposed to know the law and follow the law. So he didn't say right on. So now that might be a dilemma for him. There's a second dilemma. And this, I think, will make even more sense to you. In the context of the timing of Scripture, the Jews are now living at a time where they have a lot of say over their own people, but there are certain things that the government in which they found themselves, which would be Rome, they're Jews, but they're underneath Roman political government. The Roman government allowed them to have a lot of self-governing, but when it came to the execution of someone, the Jews couldn't execute them. What the Jews can do is to accuse them and find the fault with them and bring a court against them if they wanted to. But then they had to produce that person to the Roman government and the Roman government then could agree with the death sentence and then carry out the execution. That's why you have when Jesus was through that kangaroo court with the Jews, they couldn't kill Christ. All they could do is bring the death sentence to him as an indictment, a conviction but they couldn't execute him. So now they bring him to Pilate. And then Pilate was the one who could ultimately say, all right, he'd now to be crucified. Now I love the other part of that story, which is, yeah, they might have accused and they might have pronounced the death sentence and brought about the execution, but when Jesus was on the cross, it wasn't the crucifixion that killed him. It wasn't the sword in his side that, that killed him. Actually, he said he willfully gave up the ghost. In other words, he gave up the spirit. He gave up his soul. He gave up the spirit, meaning he died. He, he made himself die on the cross. He took authority. No man takes my life. I take it of myself. I lay it down. I raise it up. I'm God. That being said now, so now Jesus had this dilemma of what's going on. Do I go soft? Do I go hard? How do I really handle that? Now, that's what you're hearing. But now, the solution isn't where Jesus merely says, okay, I'm going to tell the lady on this occasion, they all need to see that I'm a lover and I'm a compassionate person, so just don't sin any longer, lady. No, there's something deeper that you have to understand. Jesus is still God. He always was God. He's God here. There's this tension going on that has a lot more to do than whether you commit adultery or not. Now we're going to take adultery and we're going to cover it up with every sin, thought, talk, walk, sin that there is. Any sin, little sin, big sin, whatever sin it might be, that sin is underneath the judgment of God because God is a holy God. And God says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Separation, judgment forever. Judged away from God, judged in a little place called hell, judged forever because that person is a sinner. So yes, when there's sin, rock to sleep, so to speak. Now Jesus comes over here and he says, in order for me to release that person and to say, therefore, sin no more. I'm showing grace and mercy and forgiveness. I still have to satisfy the law that cannot give life. The law can do nothing but condemn and kill. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to now take the sin of all the world for all time on myself. So he says, I have to satisfy the law that says, if you're taking an adultery, you shall die. So he says, I am going to now die for the sins of the world over here, thus satisfying the law. At the same time, since he is God, he says, once I've satisfied the sins, uh, uh, the, the consequences of the law by dying, he now comes back in his compassion and he says, now I will offer you the full forgiveness of every sin 
that you've ever committed or will commit. And he says, now what I need is for you to place your faith alone in me. So he now comes to take all the sin of ourselves on himself. He now dies, satisfies the law, rises again from the dead. He shows that he is God, who claimed to be. Sin tickets paid for. God satisfied with that payment. And now he looks to you and me and he says, now I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to release you because I did that consequence for you. But now you must believe that I am the Lord God Almighty who is the Savior and that by faith alone you now will receive my forgiveness of sin. So that's who Christ is through this whole act that's going on here. So let's go back to the passage again. So they keep asking him and he stoops down and he writes on the ground and you read your own commentators and I read a bunch of them. I must have about eight different responses of what did he write on the ground. I put four in your study notes. I'm not even going to talk you through them. You can read them yourself. I don't really care too much about what he wrote on the ground because it wasn't recorded in scripture what he wrote. I am concerned about what happened after he wrote it as a result of what he wrote. And secondly, I'm especially concerned about what he said, not so much about what he wrote. Well, after he wrote that, what happened on the ground? What happened? These guys then began to peel away, starting with the oldest to the youngest, and oh, there's a lot of speculation. Why did it start with the oldest and the youngest? Maybe the oldest had a lot of sins. The youngest were maybe had a little less sins. Maybe the older ones tend to, after a while, their life begins to uh, crumble a little bit and they have less pride and they're a little bit more mellowed and broken where the young bucks, they tend to really raise up their head and they're real prideful and it took a little while longer for them to finally break. I, I don't really know. All I know is whatever he chose to write, it brought about a response where the guys essentially would walk away and leave him with that woman in that center court all by themselves. And so you see that. Now let's go a little bit further. What happens then? Straighten up, Jesus said to her, woman, woman, where are they? And she says, he says, did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go from now on sin no more. Well, I need to bring this to a close. We had a wonderful day and you think, wait a minute, you got a whole half of an outline there. Well, the other half of the outline goes pretty lickety split because you have all the teaching I've already given to you. What does this teach us about Jesus Christ in this whole event? Number one, we're not alone. Those of you that are listening here and you're feeling like my finger is pointing at you as a bony finger of wrath because you are in an adulterous situation, I want you to know that in the New Testament, it says, even if you don't commit the sin, if you do it in your heart, you're doing it. And all of us here, in some measure, at some time, maybe even now, we are regarding moral impurity in our thought life, maybe in our talk life, probably in our heart, because it's deceitful, wicked, but we haven't committed outwardly. You are not alone. That tells me that every one of us can have that issue. And I don't know where you might be, but I hope that you will not sit there and think that, man, you can't, um, you can't get beyond this. We are all together in this whole thing. And God says there's still grace for all of us when we're in that situation. So, you think about it for just a moment. I like the verse in Romans chapter 3 that says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so, you're not alone in this. You're not created to be condemned. In fact, Scripture says you're created to do good works. He says don't do good works to go to heaven. You're saved by faith, but we're created to do good works. We're not created to be condemned and do sin. And I might tell you that condemnation is not a cure for sin. Now, I put that in your notes, but what do I mean by that? Um, <clears throat> when I was in Bible college, at Florida Bible College years ago, they would bring in 
excuse me, back up. Every day, Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock, they had a chapel service. And at chapel time, they would have guest speakers or faculty that would speak. They brought in this converted nun who was a nun in South America underneath a very, very strong Roman Catholic pressure of their style of doing their Catholicism there. And she gave this testimony how that what they made them do in whatever place she was at is that when they had committed a sin, they would feel so badly about the sin that they would then put a collar around their neck, very similar to a dog's collar, except where you'd see those English bulldogs with those spikes out, the spikes would be in. And to deal with this sin, they would then, underneath that condemnation, they would tighten this around their neck until it bled. didn't kill them. There may be some bled to death. I don't know. But it wasn't purpose to kill them. But the purpose was, I am so condemned over this that the more I sense my condemnation for my sin, I will now cease from any sin and I will live a perfect, pure, holy life that's sinless. So they kept condemning themselves. And then, in God's sovereignty, brought someone to her with the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, and the full forgiveness of sin by what Christ did for her on the cross and by trusting in him, Jesus says, I'll forgive you of all sin. It's not about collars around your neck with spikes. Now, that's an extreme situation. I wanted to share that with you, that some of you might be right now thinking, if I just see how guilty and horrible I am, I am motivated by my guilt and my self-condemnation, and if I feel so rotten, that'll keep me from sinning. I want you to know that is not God's way of doing things. The re- what motivates us is not, I'm so bad, I'm so wicked, I'm so terrible. What motivates us is the grace of God because grace is the power and the ability to do what we ought to do. So as we focus on, I am so forgiven. I am so much a recipient of his mercy. I have been bathed in his grace. I've experienced his total forgiveness. My God, what a savior I have. And I want to live because of who he is, not how bad I am. And so that doesn't save us. So I want you to know that we're not alone. Second, we're not condemned. And lastly, I like to say that we are responsible for our sin. If you'll notice, it says the last phrase is, go and sin no more. Now folks, look up here for just a second. Um, Let's say it's the sin of adultery. If you are in an adulterous situation right now, you absolutely can use this Sunday at this moment in this room to make a covenant with the Lord. I'm speaking to believers now. That you will do three things. You're going to face and own the fact that you are in an immoral situation. And I'm not going to describe it. You know what it is. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. You're going to face it. You're going to own it. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to confess it to the Lord. You're going to confess your heart. You're going to confess what's happening. You're going to name it as God would name it, as God sees what you have done in that relationship and the consequences that may or will come from it. You're confessing that all to the Lord. Then the third thing you're going to do is you're going to say that when I walk out those double doors and I get into my car, that I will never take my clothes off around that person again. I will do what I can to once and for all end it 
I will flee that lustful relationship that I have with that person. And by God's grace, I have a second chance. Uh, While I cannot unring the bell and put Humpty Dumpty back together again, I'm going to plead God's grace and mercy, and I'm going to ask him to take my ashes of a life and make beauty out of them. I want him to restore whatever years that my sinful locusts have eaten and rebuild my life again. To purge the evil from our Israel. I pray that that would be the case. Now, those of you that are here today and you're saying, oh, I don't know Christ as Savior, but that's a good thing. I I, I will. I'll face it. I'll tell God I'm doing this kind of stuff and I'll stop doing it. Listen very carefully. This This is critical. If you don't trust Christ as Savior, you will not have the, the keyword, sustaining power to be able to keep that relationship pure before the Lord. And to stay separated from that adulterous relationship you have or any potential ones that could come your way in the future, you won't have that power. So the first step for you is not merely to own it and face it. Yours is to own it and face it with the Lord and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I cannot by myself do this. And so, Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm going to ask you right now, will you forgive me of my sin? And let me quickly say this. It's not really an asking part. The moment you say to the Lord, I'm trusting you, he immediately comes inside of you. He immediately receives you into his family. He immediately gives the Holy Spirit to indwell you. He immediately gives you all that you need to win a winnable battle with him. Now, I might add, if you're a man and you're in a situation like that, please don't be so prideful that you can't come alongside another man and say, would you hold me accountable? Find a study buddy, a prayer partner, someone that you respect highly. Share that with them. When that person shares it with you guys, you that are listening now, what that person says here stays here. When they, they leave here, you know, you kind of keep it there. You help that person begin to put their life back together again. If it's a woman, you go to another woman, preferably an older woman, a mature woman, a godly woman, and together work those things out. Now you're asking, do I need to tell my family or not? Uh, For me, I have different answers. It's hard for me to try to give you all the answers on that here from the pulpit, but if you talk to me, I'll share with you when and how and if and all that. You meet with me privately. I'm not trying to be coy with you, but every situation is so special, and I don't want to try to counsel you on such a very serious matter from the pulpit. I'd like to do it privately. Well, folks, I've given you another little list at the end, and you can read that on your own. And that's for some of you that you're going to have to be the person to go to someone that you know is in an adulterous situation, and in this case, doing a sin against the Lord willfully, and you know they're dealing with it. How do you do it? Go back through the passage on your own now, and you be like Jesus Christ. You be Christ-like, and look at the four ways he addressed that situation. He did it with humility. He did it with wisdom. He did it with grace. But he also gave him an admonition. So I want you to remember, look at Christ to see how do you work with someone who themselves is in the act of that sin. Well, folks, it was a lot for us to chew on today, and I just hope you understand the greatest contrast is you have grace, mercy, forgiveness on one side. You have the law on the other. Jesus satisfied the law. You now have grace, mercy, and forgiveness for you. Will you now trust Christ as your Savior? With every head bowed and every eye closed, 
I want to give you an opportunity in a moment for you to really talk to the Lord. I want you to have a second chance. For some of you, you're thinking, you know what? I need a third, fourth, fifth, second chance. I need a, I need a real do-over now. Well, my friend, you might have said it before, but today the Spirit of God took the Word of God to the child of God to make a change for the glory of God. If you're a Christian today, leave this room different than when you've come. Start from the inside out. Make it happen. Go to the Lord. Seek the help. Face it. Own it. Confess it. Forsake it. And by God's grace... You can live with the consequences and God can give you beauty for ashes. You that are Christians, remember uh, it's Christ living his Christ-like life out through you. It's impossible for you on your own to live the Christian life. It's your yieldness to him, you abiding in the word, exchanging our weakness for his strength, his grace. Do it now. Say, Lord, you're in me. I'm releasing you now to help me with this. I'm partnering with you in a yielded obedience of faith in you, but at the same time to do my works together for you. Now that's for Christians. For those of you that are wanting to get in the faith, the worst problem about your sin is not that it's going to be found out here. Oh, it's going to be horrible here. I know. When it happens, and it will. The worst part about it, you still have death and God to face. And it won't be to determine whether or not you go to heaven. It'll be to the degrees of punishment you'll have in hell. And so if you want to escape that and have the power to do right here, then I encourage you to run quickly to Christ. You turn to him right now. You believe that he is God in the flesh. You fully trust that he died and he paid for all your sin and he rose again. And now you receive him as your personal savior because he is the Lord by faith alone. And once you do that, you then apply what you've heard from the word today. Is there anyone in here that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? This message was used by the Holy Spirit to have a profound effect on me. And I want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And so Lord, while I am not condemned by you now, I want to go and sin no more. Pastor, would you pray for me? I won't tell you everything about it, but I just want you to pray for me. And if you raise your hand, if you choose to do that, you don't have to. I'm not going to think the worst of you. But together as redeemed sinners, forgiven sinners, recipients of grace and mercy sinners, we're going to go to the throne together in prayer. Is there anyone in here that would, by an uplifted hand, would like for me to quietly and privately pray for you? Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Our gracious Heavenly Father, whatever the sin that we might be doing, whether it's a sin of commission or omission, we know that that sin is separating us from you. And Father, when we trusted you as our Savior, we entered into that forever relationship with you and it was always your desire that we would be drawn closer and more intimate with you and it's hard to have you as our heavenly love of life 
when we're maintaining an earthly, illicit lover here. Father, we're cheating on you more than just cheating on our mate or our family. The destruction we do will not be merely a career or our finances. It'll be our reputation. It'll be relationships. And most of all, it'll be a separation from you and all the power that we could have. So Father, we know as a Christian we'll always have eternal life, but we want to be a Christian with our sins not only paid for and forgiven, but our day-by-day sins forsaken. So it's in your name and by your power we're trusting this to be. And Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh,